0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour. Welcome to the
0: Peter King Podcast, our second Peter King podcast that is going out on Peacock, NBC's streaming service. So you now can not only hear the podcast if you want to, you can watch it. Wednesday evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, every Wednesday. Uh, and this week, we've got a fun podcast for you. We've got Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, uh, who's aiming to have the most prolific season that a tight end has ever had in NFL history. Uh, He's also the Chiefs Walter Payton, NFL Man of the Year nominee. He's done some really good work in the Kansas City community and in his hometown of Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And we'll also be joined by the new special advisor to the owner of the Detroit Lions, Chris Spielman, uh, one of the great linebackers that I've ever covered in my sports writing career. So Kelsey and Spielman coming up right after this. I just wanted to start off with sort of look, I know it's Christmas week. I know that we all want to be happy and and optimistic and and all that, but I just I've got to weigh in on Dwayne Haskins and on the Washington football team's decision that it has ahead of it, which I don't think is going to be a very difficult decision. But <clears throat> You know, the the fact is here are the facts that in 2019, Washington drafted with a mid first round pick Dwayne Haskins to be the long term quarterback of the future for the franchise. He did not play well as as a rookie, uh, and had a poor rating, uh, was not very accurate. And so entering the offseason. Uh, new Washington coach, Ron Rivera, uh, basically said, hey, you know, this is going to be a competition. And obviously, in this competition, you're going to have Kyle Allen. You're going to have Alex Smith. And so that's exactly what happened. And at first, uh, he won the competition. Um, and and Dwayne Haskins won it. And he didn't play particularly well. Had a good game, uh, you know, to open the season. Uh, when Washington beat Philadelphia, but he didn't play particularly well. He got yanked after four games, and then he basically sat the bench until he had to play in week 14. Uh, Sort of an inspired victory. He didn't have a lot to do with it when they went out to Arizona and beat the 49ers, and then also, obviously, he played in week 15. I'm sure you heard the news. Dwayne Haskins was caught maskless in a strip club uh, and so the NFL set out these major, major protocols at the beginning of the year. And players are not allowed to be in bars, period. Never mind to be in bars maskless around other people. Uh, and clearly, this happened to be a strip club. So that just kind of adds to the general mayhem of what happened to Dwayne Haskins. Now, look. I think we probably all could have imagined uh, going into this coming off season that Washington had a major decision to make it quarterback. And you sort of got the feel that Ron Rivera and his brain trust was leaning toward going in a different direction, probably a new quarterback coming in, maybe with Alex Smith uh, keeping the seat warm, who knows? But Dwayne Haskins just did not grab this job by the scruff of the neck and take it in the first two years in Washington. New coach, new administration. So it was going to be hard for him to keep his job anyway. But basically, this news that Haskins was found maskless in a strip club uh, in some form of revelry uh, basically says to me that, you know, an old coach bill parcells once said sometimes players cut themselves and dwayne haskins has cut himself because that almost assuredly is what's going to happen at the end of the year washington will move in a different direction um the nfl clearly is going to discipline haskins um and i can just feel it in washington this is this is a team by the way that right now on the cornecki big board the playoff board, they're favored to make the playoffs out of the NFC East. And so the starting quarterback now has basically put that in jeopardy because most likely Alex Smith is going to have to play with a bad calf the last two weeks of the game. I can't see Ron Rivera putting Dwayne Haskins in, but we'll see. But be that as it may, after this season, I don't think it's going to take very much for Ron Rivera to realize what he has to do. And that is to search for a new quarterback of the future for Washington. Dwayne Haskins is going to have to do some very large penance to have a viable future in the NFL after this sordid affair. Now with that, with that happy news, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. But Listen, let's get into the podcast now. I don't know. I, I I hope I didn't bum everybody out too much, but that was just really on my mind. I couldn't believe it. I don't know that many people can believe it. Back on the podcast, so happy to be joined by Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City Chief. Uh, as anybody who follows football will know, Travis Kelsey is is trying to do something now this year that has never been done, trying to be the most productive um, receiver in football as a tight end. There's never been a football player before, never been a tight end who's led the NFL in receiving yards. Uh, it, never been a, a, a tight end who's had the kind of year up to now that Travis Kelsey has had: 98 catches, 1,318 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. He's six yards behind DeAndre Hopkins as we take this with two weeks to go for the lead in the NFL. Travis, thanks so much for joining me. And I want to start by just asking you, do you get caught up in that at all?
1: Um, only when I get to, to talk to guys like you about it. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely something cool to, you know, be in talks with, um, you know, all these great wide receivers and uh, the things that they've been able to do. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has made play after play in just about every single game he's been in. So it's just uh, being up there with him. But I, I still think that uh, the deadliest weapon in the National Football League in terms of receiving or just a football player is Tyreek Hill, man. And that guy never gets enough credit for for what he does for this team. Well, Tyreek Hill is, uh, has got 1,211
0: 1, yards. Uh, but you know, you're right. It's so interesting to watch your offense it's really a pick your poison offense and that's one of the things i wanted to talk to you about was that you know tom brady made a comment the other day travis that, you know he said sometimes it can be hard there's one football i've got all these great players you can't cut the football into three or four pieces so some weeks it's going to be this guy's week some weeks it might be another guy's week but how do you guys as a tight end slash receiver group handle that aspect of it?
1: Well, I mean, one, we love, we love playing with each other. We we really appreciate being around each other uh, week in, week out, every single game. We love going to war for each other. And, uh, and that's the, that's the thing that kind of binds everybody to where you really don't think about the stats. You, you just think about getting the ball down the field and into the end zone. And, um, what also helps that is is, is coaching uh, the play designs, um, getting guys opportunities to get open, having getting giving guys opportunities to have you know one on one matchups with with guys where it's uh, it's into their advantage. Uh, I think that's one thing that Coach Reed does unbelievably is he sets myself, Tyreek, the running backs, um, and all the wide receivers uh, in. He puts us in positions to succeed, and and sure enough, one five is out there throwing around better than anybody that's ever played the game. And it's just, uh, it's a, it's a fun combination. Do you ever find yourself thinking, I am so fortunate. That the <laughs> all the draft- time, all <laughs> the time. You kidding me? I, I think about how, how, how great it was for me to land here in Kansas city on draft day, uh, get the trust uh, every single year from this, uh, this organization to do the right things man I'm a, I'm a very fortunate son of a buck man and I I'm extremely thankful for the opportunities that I that I've been given in uh, this organization in this league and uh, definitely in this city and it's just been it's, it's it's been awesome man to see it to grow into into what this offense is now and uh, and be there every step of the way um, and see it grow within is a uh, it's it's an awesome feeling.
0: So, I want to ask you just a little bit. I want to go back in time about when you actually got there. Okay. Okay. And it's, you know, I'm so, I always want to know like the story right before you ended up being somewhere. So, take me back, if you can, to draft day. It's the start of the third round, it's 2013. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are coming up. But I wonder, are you one of those guys who are thinking, you know, in the middle of the second round, you're saying, why the heck am I still on the board here? Take me into your draft day experience coming out of the University of Cincinnati in
1: 2013. Yeah, I um, I definitely had the confidence that I could play with, with all the best tight ends in that draft class. That is, we had Zach Ertz, we had Vance McDonald, we had... Uh, Tyler Eifert like we we had some guys some big name guys that could really uh, play this game and, uh, and they had a lot of college success at that so I I kind of had my eyes on around the second round um, and yeah I mean you get through the second round and you're kind of, and you're looking at all the teams and they're like ah they don't really need a tight end they don't need a tight end and Kansas City never really crossed my mind I, they didn't it, it, during the draft process it kind of it really felt like they were only interviewing me because they drafted the coaching staff drafted my brother two years prior, right? Um, in 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 Philadelphia, and it was kind of just like, oh, let's just you know see what this guy's about. Like, th- not not too much interest in him. And sure enough, I get a call from a, a Missouri area code, and I make this joke all the time. I thought I was going to St. Louis. The as soon as the phone rang, I thought I was like, <laughs> oh man, I'm going st louis man they're struggling over there and then i i I hear when i answer the call it's coach reed and i start to get really excited and you know i didn't even think about the fact that kansas city was 2 and 14 the year before i I had no idea i was just under the impression that i got to go play in kansas city under a great coach and uh, i need to definitely be appreciative of this opportunity that i'm about to have So the interesting thing about this draft, and I remember
0: thinking when you got drafted, okay, so this is Andy Reid's first draft. He had just gotten hired by the Chiefs. It's his first draft. And he comes from Philadelphia, where obviously he had drafted your brother, Jason Kelsey, the center with the Eagles. So I just wonder, have you ever found out what was Jason's contribution (laughs) <laughs> to you getting drafted by Andy Reid, he, did he say anything to,
1: to read about, about you? Um, to be honest, I, I do remember Jason telling me that uh, he had conversations just about uh, my, me being – I'll say this first. Coach Reid's son uh, played at the University of Temple, and Cincinnati played Temple. That is, right. that my senior year, we, we ended up playing Temple. So he kind of had a reason to watch Big East football a little bit, kind of follow along. Um, and uh, sure enough, we actually played Temple. And that was the first time that I actually met Coach Reed was just randomly walking by him uh, in the uh, in the tunnels after the game. Uh, Jay, my brother introduced me to him. And sure enough, Coach Reed's an awesome guy. And I thought the world of him when I met him. And uh, from there, I kind of heard my brother say, yeah, they, they definitely have watched you on film because they were, they were impressed just by, you know, how I was having success in college. So it was just, yeah. I don't know, just little stuff like that. But I think it was my brother's uh, professionalism, uh, my brother's grit and kind of, you could see the certain things that that were ingrained in him as a, as, as a young, as a man, um, they want, they saw some of that in me as well. And, and I think in, in terms of athleticism, uh, I was very unique for the tight end position and uh, they knew that I was willing to to put my put my all for the team based off of what I did in college. So I think but I Jason definitely had a big part of, uh, of Coach Reed having the faith that I was going to do the right things. By the way, did you happen to go to the Philadelphia Eagles
0: parade after they won the Super Bowl?
1: No, I missed the parade. I was still down in uh, <laughs> where was that game? uh minnesota i was still in minnesota trying yeah. to get out of there it was it was a snowy weekend and right. it was a cold one so I was but uh, but, but i but
0: you obviously saw one of the greatest speeches in
1: parade history after put a it Super at number War. one man that was the greatest oh. speech i've ever heard <laughs> I, I still I still turn it on and get goosebumps and get excited for uh, not only what that team been through, but specifically what my brother's been through uh, throughout his athletic career, man. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Look, it, it, you know, the other day uh, it was so interesting. I, you know, I can't go to games this year. So I'm sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn and I just watch television. I watch the highlights. I watch a lot of the press conferences. And the other day, Jamal Adams of the Seahawks walks into his press conference after Seattle clinches a playoff spot. And, you know, first writer's about to ask him a question. Well, uh, what did it feel out there today? Or whatever, Jamal. And Jamal said, hold on a second. Hold on a second. And I thought he was going to jump through the little screen because he said, man, you guys have no idea. I just made the friggin' playoffs. And when you haven't won in a long time, and you're used to not winning to make the playoffs is a big big deal. And and look, even though that's not the same as winning the Super Bowl, that maybe aided by a couple of beers is exactly what I saw in your brother that day. Not that they hadn't been winning, but they hadn't won the big game and that was the exuberance of somebody who grew up who grew up saying hey, listen, I want to play football, but
1: I want to win at football. That's what I saw in your brother that day. Oh, man, I, you hit it right on the head, man. He's uh, he's really had his ups and downs in terms of uh, what he's been able to accomplish in, in football. I mean, be, starting off being a walk-on linebacker at the University of Cincinnati and then finding his, uh, his way into the offensive line room, g- going from guard to center to – you know, being the leader on, on just about every single team that I've ever seen him on, he's, uh, he takes it to heart. And he, he lives through, you know, being there for the guys next to him and being that accountable piece and, uh, and fighting his tail off. And uh, you could see it in that speech, man. He, his passion for, for the guys around him and uh, to, to do his job and win football games with them. Um, he loved it, man. Uh. Travis Kelsey is my
0: guest here on the podcast. Now, Travis, the the one thing that I would think as a football player that playing for the Chiefs, the reason it would really be fun is the imagination, the creativity, the fun that it looks like you guys have. And I, I talked to Andy Reid the other day uh, after you beat the Saints, and I said – where did this chest pass come from? That Patrick <laughs> Mahomes threw a touchdown chest pass to Travis Kelsey in this game. And he, I mean, it's and, just uh, it, it it keeps evolving. Yeah, and and look, and he, the piece was he said, "Hey, he did a one day in practice. I saw. Him. He said, how did that feel?'" He said, "Now, Andy Reid said something really interesting. I thought that sometimes." Those really easy throws can be hard. You can get it in your head. Okay, just get it there. It's simple, but it can be tough. And the way that he described it, that looks utterly bizarre. It looks just weird to, to throw a chest pass like you're a, a point guard. But, but as Andy said, if, if that's the easiest way to do it, and it takes all the thought of, am I going to overthrow him? Am I going to put it in the ground? Why not do it? And that's, when, I, when he said that, it makes all the sense in the world to me.
1: All the sense in the world. I think they were trying to break the record for a fastest pass thrown. That is, from the snap <laughs> to the throw. Uh, get it out of his hands as fast as possible. And he, um, he takes everything to heart like that. I mean, if you watch him take a knee, he's trying to, you know, be the fastest one to take a knee. You know, he just has that competitive uh, nature to be able to, to make anything possible out there on the football field and uh, and and find a way to, to, to get the ball in the end zone. And sure enough, that play had been ran by uh, just about anybody. I think we put Don Terry Poe in that position and got him a touchdown. So it's, it's all play design, and uh, I definitely reap the benefits of it.
0: Can you just tell me, it seems to me that the creativity part of it, you know, when I've asked uh, Andy about this, he said, listen, you know, my office is open, and – You know i have kafka in there i have the in there you know patrick can contribute other guys on the staff can contribute so what does it feel like knowing and i'm gonna exaggerate here but knowing on offense that anything
1: is possible i mean you get excited you get excited when wednesday and thursday come around and then friday goal line packages come in and you just get excited to see what the game plan is how you can help the team um, and, and how coaches, uh, all the coaching staff, all the offensive coaching staff wants to use your uh, your strengths that week. And it's just um, it's fun because once you get into the to the routine of of um of the fundamentals, the practice style that coach Reed implements in every single team, the the toughness, the, the professionalism that you have to have. Once you get into that flow and that and and start to have success on Sundays and start winning football games. It's uh, it's a fun working machine that that you can get excited to come into the building every single day, and uh, and and it's definitely not slowing down anytime soon, man. These guys are creative. Have you ever come up with an idea that you have pitched either to Patrick or to,
0: to Andy or or Eric, any of the coaches?
1: Um, I've never. I don't think I've ever been bold enough to go up to Coach Reed and actually tell him, hey, why not this play? You know, I, he's a, he's a legend. You know, I just let him do his thing. I got full trust in him dialing up the right things. And, uh, he's, he, he's definitely, uh, asked me about some, a certain route here and there, and I'll give him my input on what I feel comfortable with. But at the, at the same time, it's just, you know, getting excited for those opportunities of, you know, it's kind of like, it shocks you when you get that opportunity to run the, the out and up or the, you know, the post and go or whatever it is, you know, the, the, the fun routes that you can work downfield on. And, uh, yeah, Pat's definitely uh, trying to make some new routes up every single week, and we'll we'll have some fun during practice with that. And uh, it the list just goes on. How
0: difficult, how odd, how weird has it been this year to basically have to, in some ways, live like a monk, uh, not be able to go out and you know sort of feel the vibe in your community. Uh, and really have to be ultra ultra careful to not get COVID.
1: It's tough, man. It, it's 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 extremely tough because you love you love seeing the family. You love having people come in for games. I'm I'm somebody where I invite everybody out to Kansas City uh, to to come experience this uh, this culture. The 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 football games up at Arrowhead are legendary. And uh, we try and get, uh, you know, everybody out here. And it's just a season where, in this time of the year, where you just can't do it. And um, it's uh, it's just been frustrating. I'm not being able to see his family as much and things like that. But in terms of uh, the football world, I think it's kind of locked in a lot of people and and, and made people kind of focus on their job, knowing that they unfortunately can't do too much else. Um, and uh, it's it's our our job to go out there and entertain people and and try and put smiles on faces knowing that it's not the, the best of times. Um, and, uh, you know, just try and have fun with that. What's the biggest
0: difference in playing either with no fans in the stands or very few?
1: Man, I would say uh, the biggest difference is just the energy level. I mean, there there's certain games I can remember that I, you just feel the energy from the crowd. Uh, the game at the Coliseum in, uh, against the Los Angeles Rams a couple of years ago you could just feel the energy from the crowd. Uh, all the playoffs games in Arrowhead last year it, it just turned you up a whole nother notch when you know that the, that the fans are in it that everyone's yelling, hooting hollering getting excited about every single play um and and, and it's like nowhere else Kansas City has got something special uh, from what the what the fans bring and uh, that's definitely missed every single Sunday.
0: Travis, I want to segue a little bit into some of the things you're doing. We're here in Christmas week, and um, the NFL every year right about this time comes out with their 32 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year nominees. You are the one this year in Kansas City. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, especially in a week like this, is that you have really impacted the Kansas City community and uh your hometown in cleveland heights ohio and i just want you to explain if you can you know you have basically a really cool idea with your uh with your 87 and running foundation because what happens i'm very bullish on this i think it's so cool that a lot of kids who go to schools either in disadvantaged schools or in school systems that don't have the money that other uh, school systems have, they are not able to get the resources in areas like, uh, not only in athletics, but in, in STEM and in other parts of the school system. So I wanna know what motivated you to get as involved as you are, particularly when it comes to education of young kids.
1: I, um, I'll i start off by saying I grew up uh, very fortunate. You know, I, I grew up in a community, Cleveland Heights, that is uh, it's, it's very multicultural, very, it has, it has a, a lot of different um, uh, ethnicities as well as social class. And um, I got an understanding of what life was for a lot of people. And what that did was it, it made me understand that, um, you know, when you can l- lend a helping hand, you should do that. Uh, we just, and, and I, I, my parents instilled it in me and helping out the Kansas city community. I mean, what they give the chiefs on Sundays and throughout the week and all the support, all the love, uh, I wouldn't be here without this community. So I, I honestly, I felt that it was in me to start 87 and running my foundation. And, uh, it's not just myself that that's, that's helping these kids. It's this community that's supporting the foundation, uh, the a management, Andre and Aaron, uh, that are that are help running my foundation that, that are really kind of tying the putting together everything to make make it all work. Um, and then teaming up with Operation Breakthrough, who helps out the disadvantaged youth in, uh, throughout the Kansas City uh, communities and uh, have been doing it for years upon years. Um, and when they started to really uh, develop all the extracurricular stuff. Uh, in the in the facility. Um, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to help out and I thought STEM, a robotics lab, uh, these opportunities You just I, I could have never even thought about having a robotics lab in my school growing up and I, I, I had an unbelievable school. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm excited for these kids to be able to have this and uh, to be able to, you know, have some advantages that they wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, I'm very proud and and honored to represent the Kansas City Chiefs in this light. And uh, and the Walter Payton Man of the Year has always been something that's you know that you can that that you can kind of wear with your chest chest out and head high. You know, it's very it's very honorable. What's so interesting about what you've done is, and
0: look, I, I never ever would look down on anybody giving money to any charitable cause. It's fantastic. But basically, you know, you have, by the end of this year, you will have donated a million dollars and in part, you know, to your local efforts. But the, the robotics lab interests me so much just because there's absolutely no way, as you say, that kids in some disadvantaged areas not only are ever going to walk into a robotics lab, but are going to be able to reap the benefits How do you know if one of these kids, one of these two or 300 kids from the schools who are going to use this lab, how do you know that one of them isn't going to become an engineer, an astronaut? I mean, you just simply don't know what is going to turn on the light bulb in some kid's life. And that's why I think focusing on this, focusing on anything is great. Focusing on this, I think, especially in a
1: city that needs it. Uh, I think it's just really a cool thing, and that's that's the goal of it right there—to just give kids these opportunities to grasp, you know, find love in certain things. I mean, I found love in sports real early, and uh, that's all I ever wanted to do. But it, it was uh, it was things that that I really wanted to, um, you know, present to these kids in the Kansas City community uh that 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 could change their life and give them happiness you know give them something to do give them something to latch on to and uh and you know I think uh what we've done with the 87 uh robotics lab has been awesome 87 running robotics lab has been awesome but I think what we're doing with the ignition lab for the high school kids knowing the operation breakthrough is only uh, kindergarten through eighth grade they needed uh, an area for these high school kids to go and work on collaborative efforts um, and I think uh, this Ignition Lab is going to be awesome for, for the high school crowd as well and keep them uh, focused on the things that, that they they desire and they love and they want to be a part of. Yeah, I think um, one of the things also that,
0: uh, that you've done is you focused a little bit on kind of COVID-related causes uh, and, and some back in your hometown. Why have you... Wanted to do something and some things COVID-related, uh, especially for families who that
1: that are struggling. Well, I mean, it's right now. I just kind of explained that you know when you're able to lend a helping hand, I I just have the the itch to do it. It just it is what it is, and I knew that my community is is something that's very dear to my heart, uh, dear to myself. The the entire Cleveland community at that is something that I I cherish being from. The two one six a lot, and um, with that being said, I knew that that you know quarantining and the everything that's been going on with COVID, um, it's gonna be a struggle for a lot of people, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt them uh, for quite a bit of time. Hopefully, not as long as uh, as you know what we hope, but at the sa- at the same time, it, it, it is what it is, and uh, I think lending a helping hand and and just trying to you know be there for people uh, at all times.
0: I'm going to finish with one more football question, and that is, as you look at the landscape, you guys, as we sit here, won 22 of your last 23 games. Um, And it's hard to imagine, based on what we saw last year, that you guys could actually be a better team this year than you were. As you sort of, now that you've clinched it, whether you end up being first or, uh, you know, having the bye and being the top seed, how do you think your team is better this year than it was last year?
1: I think we're more focused, and and it started off earlier. I think last year around week ten, we started to really. I don't. I don't think it was. It might have been week ten. I think it was around nine or ten where we really started to focus in on on what what what's the goal here. You know, are are we doing what we have to do? And uh, this year, it was just like we hit the ground running. Everybody was extremely focused and uh, determined. And uh, and that's that includes coaching and and everything has just kind of been uh, smooth sailing since since the season started in terms of football. And uh, and we're just kind of running with it at this point. And uh, I honestly think that just the focus of this team, the determination uh, for like uh, four full quarters, not just a a half here and a half there or separating it. It's 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 four full quarters of focused football and uh, and guys playing their tail off for each other.
0: As, you, as we sit here right now, do you have much of a gut feeling? Will you end the year uh, leading all receivers in receiving yards? Is this something that in the last two weeks you're going to be looking to do? Is it something that is a goal of yours as we get deep into the season?
1: I'd never even thought that I would be in a situation like this uh, at the top of the receiving charts. Um, I've always kind of focused just on the tight end position and trying to set goals for myself in that in the position itself, um, and it's definitely cool to be a part of at this point. But I'm not really thinking too much about it, man. I'm trying to get one more win or get two more wins here, uh, one at a time, and and go go up against Atlanta this week, get a win, and and try and solidify that bye week.
0: Travis Kelsey, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Uh, congratulations on your Walter Payton nominee. Our nomination and uh, good luck down the stretch with a great Kansas City Chiefs team.
1: You know it. You know, it. go Chiefs! Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: And now my conversation with Chris Spielman, the new special assistant to the owner of the Detroit Lions. Back on the podcast. So happy to be joined this week by Chris Spielman, um, who has. Uh, just taken a job in the past few days as a special assistant with the Detroit Lions. And we're going to have to get into what exactly that means. Because I know Chris Spielman uh, pretty well, and I know he likes precision. I know he doesn't like to have things cloudy. He likes to have things crystal clear. But anyway, Chris, uh, so happy uh, for you in your life and uh, happy you could join me. Congrats.
2: Well, thanks, Peter. It's always a pleasure. And you know, the, the respect that I've had for you over the years and the relationship that we've had, is uh, it's mutual.
0: So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Good. Hey, um, so for those who only know you, maybe younger people who know that you played in the NFL, but don't really know all that much about you as a person or maybe the kind of player that you were. I I do want to tell just one very quick story. And that is, uh, actually, I'm going to tell two very quick stories. The first one is, one time, I wanted to do something for Sports Illustrated with Chris Spielman, when he was a linebacker for the Lions. So I approached the PR guy for the Lions, Bill Keenest, a friend of mine. And I said, Hey, Bill, I would love to do something with Chris where Maybe I would watch tape with him, uh, you know, at home one night during the week just to see how he studies his opponent, how he learns about his opponent. And you denied my request. And then I saw you right after that. And you said, my life is not the effing NFL today. (laughs) I do believe those were your exact words.
2: And I, I don't use that language very often anymore, but yes, so, so that does seem somewhat accurate, yes. <laughs>
0: and there's one other story that I always thought really says a lot about you. And this story is from the last season that the Detroit Lions won a playoff game. It's in the 1991 season, the Lions beat Dallas in the divisional playoff game that year and look next year your first full season with the Detroit Lions you hate to say it but it's going to be the 30th anniversary of the last playoff victory of this franchise which just seems totally absurd but anyway you beat Dallas in the divisional round and you go to Washington the next week and Washington mops the floor with you guys it's 41 to 10 with two minutes to go and with two minutes to go jeff rutledge i think it was but one of the washington quarterbacks just started kneeling on the ball you know and you (laughs) said you said something that i would like you if you have to clean it up a little bit please do but do you remember that moment and what you said to the Washington team across the line?
2: It was on the on lines of this is, well, I felt like it was more embarrassing that they're taking a knee as opposed to trying to punch another one in, you know, keep coming. And since they wouldn't, they kept taking the knee. You know what I kept doing? Time out. And everybody in the, both of those are screaming and yelling at me. And I said, I won't do it again. They come up after the play, timeout. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I, I think I looked over and screamed at Coach Gibbs, just run the ball, let's go. You know, because to me, I don't want anybody kneeling. If you're going to beat me, then try to beat me to the end of the end of the gun. And if you got to put 50 on my rim, put 50 on my rim. But we're going to find out. We're going to play to the end. So that was my mindset. Uh, certainly, that's quite accurate.
0: Chris, I think when I have heard over the years these suggestions, and you, over the years, I've heard these suggestions. Geez, the Lions ought to bring back Spielman. The, the Lions ought to bring back Barry. They need to bring their history back in into the organization. I think the ethos that Chris Spielman would bring back is fantastic, but he'd have to. He would have to really do something. You know, to to sort of make this franchise, sort of grab it by the neck and sort of wake it up. So I wonder, tell me the story of how this came to be and maybe how you think you're going to be able to be a difference maker generation after your career finished.
2: So um, first of all, um, I like because of life experiences and, and where I was in my life, we know and understand that I had these opportunities before, but you know, I was at a single dad at the time with four young kids and it just wasn't right. I think, uh, as you know, I'm a man of faith. God bless me to still be in football with TV and still be home uh, the necessary time for the kids. So the timing wasn't right. So I got a call a couple of weeks ago from, from Rod Wood, the uh, president in, of the Lions, and he asked me if I would be interested and I said well sure I'm always interested in listening to people and uh, let talk about um, me being would I be interested in the GM role and I said well I'm not qualified to be the GM and that would be a disservice to you. I said I know a lot of things and I know a lot of people but uh, he said fine okay ended up I was driving to Chicago to do the Lions ironically enough the Lions and Bears game he called me back and We kind of talked of like a global ambassador thing for the Lions. And I said, well, that interests me. Um, Then we kind of nailed it down to special assistant to the president and owner of the Detroit Lions. And so what that involves, Peter, is that I I want to be involved in in helping them hire a coach and a general manager. And here's what I can bring to that table. I've been around football and, you know, my father was a high school footballer football coach. I've been around football my entire life. I've cultivated relationships my entire life. For the last 30 years, um, I've been in and out of organizations and I know what works and I know what doesn't work. I know what people can sustain and what people can't sustain. I know there's a difference between the NFL 15 years ago and the NFL now. I've been fortunate who I think uh, obviously, I'm biased, but I think my brother's record speaks for itself. I've been in the bowels. And the Your ins- brother,
0: Rick, is the general manager of the, of the Vikings. Right. And by the way, that's an interesting story that's going to happen now. The Lions and the Vikings, Spielman versus Spielman. My
2: mom's dad just started smoking. <laughs> I don't know if she's drinking, but I know smoking might have started back up. But anyway, uh, uh Um, But I I said, look, here's what I know, Um, I'm smart enough, if I don't have an answer, I ask very smart people that have had success in this business, what's the secret, and because of the relationships that I've built over a playing career, in a broadcast career, and actually being uh, around and understanding how the inner workings work, I kind of have an idea of the direction that we want to go, so I asked Sheila what her direction is. And she uh, is very committed. And once it's so bad for the city, so we've got to have no honest community. And everybody has to be unified as one. And from all the very smart people that are coaching and, uh, people that have given me advice over the last few days, all of them say the exact same thing. That's the formula. That's the formula now, that's the formula moving in the future. And I believe it doesn't guarantee success, but in the NFL, it gives you the best chance of success now and more importantly, something that can be sustained over a period of time.
0: So tell me a little bit about your meeting with Sheila Ford Hamp and what it was that she said that convinced you that now you wanna be involved.
2: Because I sensed her passion and her desire, I mean, for, for the Ford family as a whole and Sheila in particular, that she wants something that the city can be proud of. She is very aware of the history of the Detroit Lions and she has taken it upon herself to make something special. Uh, she's taking ownership of the ownership, so to speak. She wants to sign her name to it. And so with her vision, which matches up with mine and with culture and all the things that you want nowadays that you think is the winning formula. And with Rod Wood, all, all our visions match up. Now the key is we have to get the right people in place. You have to have a general manager and you have to have a head coach that have great communication skills. Those are the guys. Your head coach has got to be the voice. He's got to be the leader and everybody's got to be willing to follow. Uh, once this process is done and once a head coach is in place, I'm, I'm there to serve them. I always thought, I, I find it, one lesson I've learned, Peter, I, I, uh, I learn and believe in somebody looking at my work, say from a broadcast standpoint from the outside. People that work with me all the time say, oh, you you do a great job. We, you know, you enjoy you. But when I used to um, uh, employ an outside, um, I guess, consultant, and I say, give me the breakdown. What do you think? And sometimes an outside set of eyes forces you to rethink and relook and reevaluate.
0: You You mean a consultant and how you did television? Oh,
2: yeah. Every week. Yeah would right. you like what didn't you like and we might agree or not agree but it's just an outside set of eyes right. and so i just want to be i just want to be an either an outside set of eyes well you know this is something that you might want to look at and i and i'm going to tell you why uh, i believe that people that are willing to tell you their why are very confident in what they're doing when they tell you why they're doing it they got to be able to validate why they're doing it just like i'm going to tell them my why and uh, I'm not there ever to tell a coach what to do. I'm not there ever to tell anybody uh, how to do it or GM. I'm just there to be a support system for them. If, if the coach were walking out to the practice field, the coach said, uh, uh, shoot, I left my place, I must left my call sheet up on my desk. I'm the first one spurting to get the call sheet off his desk. I mean, that's the, I believe that's the servant's attitude in a very, Uh, big, multiple, complex world. But if you can get everybody with that servant's attitude, then you have the best chance. And the other thing is, and this is what I've noticed, especially during this COVID year, when you can get a group of guys that make a lot of money, if you can get them to absolutely kill that selfish beast that's in all of us, it's in all of us, but to play for each other, then everybody benefits when their absolutely number one goal is to play for each other and give everything they have, that's when you can have something special. And, and that's you know that's kind of hopefully the culture that we're going to build in Detroit. Moving forward, not looking back, I'm looking ahead. What's back is we can learn from it, but moving forward, we're gonna do our best to, to implement what we believe would be the best uh, plan. And it starts with people. You know this as well as I do. NFL, I don't care, in a, in a hard world, it is a people business. Every person that I respect and honor in this business has had success. That's the first thing out of their mouth. It's a people business. And uh, I believe that with all my heart and a great Marv Levy, another mentor of mine said, "You know, it's simple, but it's not easy. And that's so true. You I know, crambled. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I loved it. Um, because now I want to play for you. Um, but, um, I'll just I'll make this point, and everyone always wonders, okay, why does some coach work, why does some coach not work, and you talk about communication, and I do not mean to to diss Matt Patricia, who I think is a very good football person, I really do, but I also think that when you are the head coach of a team, you have to make sure that everybody all 53 guys on your team, you have the ability. Some of them, a backup guy who thinks he ought to be starting. Deep down, he might hate your guts. But you have to have the ability to go up and sit next to him on the stool, next to, next to him in the locker room and say, let's talk about why you're pissed off. You know, let's let's have a line of communication. And I think it's not only Matt. It is probably... 15 or 20 coaches I can think of off the top of my head when you say, why didn't this work the way you really would have liked it to work? And the reason why communication is such an important thing is very, very simple. Because if you have 53 guys, or are now 69 with the big practice squads. If you have all those guys in the room and you have five, seven, eight, 10 who are really unhappy, and, uh, you know, Parcells, when I covered the Giants, he used to call them the dissidents, you know, and he used to say they're working some corner of the locker room yeah. and they're saying and Parcells or and Lawrence Taylor. You know, he he doesn't get coached like everybody else. And Parcells favors this guy or that guy, you know, and then it just builds and builds and builds so that you have, you know, an unhappy at least fairly sizable chunk in your locker room. And it's okay for guys to be happy or unhappy, in my opinion, but to be disrespectful and to be sort of, I don't want to even say treasonous, that's too strong, but to to be hurting your team, that's where problems start. And I think that is where communications and communication has to be so important. I'm really glad to hear you
2: talk like that. Well, I mean that's the way that's moving forward. You have to know the room, right? And the, and I think that you know today's day and age and the players are different than they were when I played. I was talking to some former alumni with the Lions, and respect is important. It's, that's what I'm talking about, being a, a people person. Res, you know, my dad told me. I mean, you know, because I said so. There's got to be a respect there, and you. Yeah people with respect because i believe you get the most out of people when you uh, treat them with respect and there's a clear communication on where they stand and why they stand there and here's what you do to make the next move so those are the type of folks that we want to hire by the way you want to be the next uh, general manager detroit lions
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> no i like my life i like my life man <laughs> it's too good <laughs> Hey, well, listen, us the same language. I mean, that, with- Chris, That's Chris, that- I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you this right now. You know, someone who has to pick a GM and a coach told me a couple of weeks ago. Said, you know, it's not like this every year, but there are a heck of a lot of really good general manager candidates in the NFL right now. And he said, in fact, this is one of a few years I would say this. I think there's significantly better GM candidates than coaching candidates. And he said, we got a few coaching candidates who we really like, but we think it's a really deep field. I mean, do you, have you gotten into it enough to know, uh, uh, you know, who not that you would say who it is, but whether there is that sort of deep field or whether you agree with that? So,
2: um, have I gotten into it enough? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm all in. And I, I do think I, I would agree that there's some great uh, candidates out there and there's great connect candidates. And I'm sure that person that you talk to would tell you that nobody would ever think of. But within the league, everybody knows that this kid is a rising star and they know it and everybody knows it. And so it's all about identifying that guy. And is it a fit? It has to be a fit nowadays. It can't can't be where somebody doesn't, there's a little bit of separation between Sheila's vision and his vision. Their visions have to match up. I'm a firm believer in that. And here's the thing with coaches and general managers. There's got to be a man strong enough and uh, and people in that position uh, strong enough to understand that my ego doesn't matter. My success is only directly related to the team's success. It's not about who gets credit for, who drafted a great player. Everybody's working as a team. So when you can get powerful people together and understand the service aspect, go back to Frank Gans. we talked about my past, what you give will grow, what you keep you lose. If you're giving it to each other every single day, that grows and spreads and, and prospers. And it's infectious because everybody understands that. And when your leaders are constantly giving to each other, that becomes infectious. There are great candidates out there and, and, and people that I think line up with the, the vision that uh, Sheila has, has set forth. But for head coaches, there's so many guys that know X's, no's. They wouldn't be in the NFL if they didn't know X's, nose. I think you would agree with me on that. I just believe you have to have that great communicator, and that leader, and oh, by the way, he brings X's nose with him.
0: Um, Will you be, and will you sit in on both the GM and the coach interviews? Yes. Um, And who all will be involved? You, uh, Sheila Ford, Ham, Rod Wood, anybody else?
2: Um, Well, there's an advisory committee. I don't know if you saw that. I did see it, yeah press release and so uh, I, I haven't gotten that far yet. I know what my role is. And so I'm sure as we get closer to the process and as you narrow things down and focus in, uh, that will be determined and I'll leave that to
0: Rod uh, and, and, or Sheila to answer. Um, in your mind, I know you don't want to dissect the past, but Given that next year will be 30 years since the Lions won a playoff game, is there something that you believe you can learn from all of these lean years going forward that you can learn and you can take into the next era of Lions football?
2: Well, let's talk about the uh, recent lesson when I did, uh, ironic, it's crazy, I did the 20 to nothing panthers lions game down in in charlotte and i think you would agree with me that it's it's kind of difficult to get shut out i'm not blaming anybody it's just right and it's not because they're bad players or bad coaches or anything it's just it was one of those days where nothing worked okay go two weeks then the, the the uh thanksgiving day game go two weeks after that when they're playing chicago which i'm in town I'm four to five minutes ago, down ten, ball on a seven-yard line, Lions win thirty to twenty, or whatever the score was, thirty-four to thirty, the Lions win, score fourteen points in four minutes, and I'm just looking throughout the game. Now I'm looking at the sidelines, I'm looking at um, people smiling and having fun and encouraging each other. There's a big big belief system that I have Peter, and this can apply to our society today. Here's my core belief on, on this. I am a an, I'm, I'm a, an encourager. I am not a discourager. I'm not interested in discouraging people. I'm interested in encouraging people with accountability and honesty. And we have to and, and within an organization or within society, we have to talk to people, not at or over people. When we talk to people, that's when we hear each other and, and then we're able to serve each other and help each other with the needs they may have. Look, it's this, I, if, if I were working for Peter King and you hired me as your special assistant, the first thing I would ask you, um, I would say, Peter, you need to tell me exactly what you need from me for me to do my job because your success is my success then I would say, then I'm going to ask you a que- question. Here's, or, uh, here's what I need from you, or statement, here's what I need from you to do my job at the highest level. So that's my mindset and my thinking, and that not only can work within an organization uh, belonging to the NFL, Detroit Lions, for example, but I think it can work in society. I, I, I know it can. If we encourage instead of constantly, so we can have disagreements and all that stuff, but we don't need to talk over. We can talk, too. And that's that's what works. And the beautiful thing is the locker room is such a microcosm, and our, our building is such a microcosm of who we are as a people. Just bring them together, man. Just bring them together. We can do it. Marv Levy, though, it's simple, but not easy.
0: Have you, will you be the type of sort of leader, I guess, and assistant who are, are you going to be once you can be? Are you going to be in the office every day? You're going to be at practice every day. What's going to be your level of presence?
2: So I'm I'm almost insulted that you're asking me that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I so, guess that that means you're going to be in the office every day at seven. Well, o'clock.
2: I am, and I'm I'm going to serve the organization in a lot of ways. You know, I want to I want to be out in the community. I, I want. I want to help in, in with, with the marketing, with the digital media. I, I have experience in all this, you know, and my goal is to serve the organization where I can be of most use and to help everybody do their job better. That's my goal. That's my only purpose there. That is it. I'm not there to, to you know, sit in an office and, and break down film 24 hours a day. Football, once you know it, it's really not that hard. The NFL. Okay, you got a quarterback, you got a chance. It's a matchup. We got a, we got a slot receiver on, on a slower safety or a linebacker. There, there's no way he's going to cover him. It's third and three, we're going there. It's, it's not that difficult. We got an offensive guard, uh, six inches, is butt's further than an offensive tackle in the center. He's pulling. The ball's got to go that way unless they got a little trick up there. So, I mean, football's not that hard. It's simple, but not easy, right? So I want to say, and those guys know that, the people you hire know that. You get out of the way and let them do their job and say, if you need something, here it is. Okay. But I, I am, I am a sponge. I want to learn. Okay. How's the business I work? I'm going to sit with Mike Disser and explain this cap thing to me. I know what's going down. How are we making it work? I want to know. Tell me your why. That, that kind of thing. I want to be all involved not for my ego to serve my purpose so I can serve the Lions in a bigger and better way in all areas of the Detroit Lions. Make sense? It makes That's sense?
0: makes right? sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, two other things just about your team. Do you, it, it, you know, you last played for the Lions in 1995, so it's been 25 years. Mm-hmm. Did you ever really think that, this day would come this time would come where you would one day work in a you know important role with this team that you loved so much when you played
2: uh no and neither did i think i'd ever live through a pandemic
0: but here we are it's 2020 so
2: <laughs> crazy things happen right and so and this is a, something that, that i share as uh you know a, a father and a husband It's all about our response. And when change comes, either you embrace it and the conveniences and inconvenience inconvenience of it, or you sit down and say, oh my gosh, change is coming. What do I do? I'm done now. No, it's all about the response that you have to it. And you can control the outcome by your response In response with enthusiasm and embracing challenges as opposed to to cowering to challenges. Yeah. But no, I never thought, uh, no, because I was... I I thought I did a decent job at Fox and I worked very hard and I loved Fox. I loved all the people, you know, those folks, they're great folks. Mm -hmm. And, 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 uh, but I learned so much about teamwork and and, in the TV booth between the producer and the director and all the camera guys and the tape guys and between play by play when that works and you know, a booth that works and you know, a booth that doesn't work. When that works, it's the same formula. Everybody is serving each other so they can be at their best. By lifting everybody up, they're lifting you up so you have one great product that you put out every single week.
0: What's your gut feeling about Matthew Stafford's future in Detroit?
2: I, I, you know, that's probably, uh, I'll I'll say this about Matthew. He He is a very, very talented guy, and he's a tough SOB man. I I came home from uh, the Bengals-Cowboys game. I caught the second half on TV and I saw where Kenny Clark rolled him up and Matthew hurt the left side of his rib cage with cartilage, goes into the locker room, comes out of the locker room, tries to throw. It's not what he wants. So Matthew's this type of guy, and and my opinion. This is just my opinion. Matthew's a guy that put the team ahead of himself because he had to make a decision. I can go in there and try to gut it out. But does that give our team the best chance if I'm playing at 50% or does 100% Chase Daniel give our team the best chance? That's what I know about Matthew Stafford.
0: But is that a decision that you believe the new general manager and coach should make? Or should that decision be made in concert with you, Rod Wood, uh, and Sheila.
2: Well, I, I go to, back to, you know, you hire a head coach and a general manager for a reason. Then you let them do their jobs.
0: Uh, hey, last thing, just in general. So you've been in the game now for a long time. The game is totally different. The game is wide open. It's a different football game now. Do you believe that this is a long rebuild for the Detroit Lions? What do you believe is most important now coming up in a football sense here in this coming off season?
2: Well, I, I think there's a lot of good pieces in place in Detroit, just from my TV observations and my gallons and George of notes over there. I think there's an offensive line, which is vital. And we know, and I'm sure you have probably wrote about this in Monday morning quarterback. It's everybody's running the ball now, right? It, it, everybody's getting back to running the football. I think there's a uh, analytic of if you run a ball 35 times or more in a game, now a lot of it dictates the game, right? But if, if you run it 35 times or more, you got like an 80% chance of winning the game. But every every week I see the same thing. And, and the people I talk to around the league, there's a really a focus on running their football. Watch the Bears and when David Montgomery's back and see see what their how their offense has changed to help Mitchell Trubisky. There are only so many Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger's running around in this world. Not a lot of them. I mean, those guys are just in a, on another planet, in, in my opinion. And so you have to build and build something. That is a
0: uh, pretty good formula for success, in my opinion. Chris Spielman, have a good time doing the Detroit Lions. It looks like you will. You're a happy man, and uh, you wouldn't have left a really good job that you had if you didn't think this was a better job. I think I had I had
2: a great job, and I and but this is like football. You know, football is in my blood, and um, it's. The Lions are part of me, and I wouldn't have left for any other team but the Detroit Lions.
0: Chris Spielman, thanks a lot. All the best to you. And to you, my friend. My thanks to Travis Kelsey, Chris Spielman, uh, and you know, my thanks to you, uh, my listeners, and now my viewers, uh, for spending this year with my podcast this obviously uh, is not the last podcast of the year. Next, next week, we'll have another one right before uh, New Year's Eve. But I did want to say thanks for uh, being such a good audience, giving me such good feedback, who you want to hear, what you want to hear. Um, so I do appreciate that. Again, you can see this podcast. You can see me and Travis Kelsey, me and uh, Chris Spielman, on Peacock every Wednesday at six p.m. Eastern, uh, and it's it's free. There's no uh, there's no credit card involved. Just go get Peacock and watch it for free. It's got a great sports lineup every day, uh, beginning with Mike Florio and Chris Sims uh, from seven to nine Eastern. Then you go Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, Michael Holly, Mike Smith, Florio, Shereen Williams it's you know really it is a one-stop place very very heavy for pro football coverage so hope everybody has a merry christmas happy holidays have a great week a great weekend week 16 there's a lot happening in the nfl hope you enjoy it have a good weekend everyone